invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. While you're turning there, I'm going to ask you if you've ever seen those, those photos of vehicles that are driving on the road that are just ridiculously overloaded. And, and they have more boxes, packages, cargo, more of a load in the back of the pickup truck or on the back of a small vehicle or on the top of a minivan than you could even imagine. It's bigger than the car itself, multiple times larger than the vehicle itself. And may, yeah, there's ropes, it's strapped down, but you're thinking, okay, not only is it taller than the car, it's wider perhaps than even the car on both sides. And so you're seeing, whoa, that's okay. They're, they're, that's crazy that they do that in some other country. And what are they thinking? And then I saw a picture of one. I was like, no, this is uh, New Hampshire. And this is on a, on a minivan. Um, and it was more similar than different to those. And it's, it's just, it, it's this image I want you to have in, in your mind for, for a moment as you think about what would it be like to be driving that thing and you know your tires you're like how are your you know your tires are um, a millimeter off of your rims and you're you're riding down the road and uh, I want you to consider that as a, as a little bit of an image of, of what it can look like um, a certain way of doing life and doing life that way and so um, it's easy to for any of us, to feel like our life is completely overloaded. And we are driving a vehicle like that. And so as we come to this passage in Matthew 11, it's interesting because we find, if you back up to the beginning of the chapter, there is a, there's a story. There's this, this episode is all one big episode. And, and Jesus is uh, being approached the beginning about John the Baptist, so we know it's his cousin, very close. And you think, wow, you know, there's, there, there is, is, and up until that time, no one greater that had been born um, than John the Baptist, as our Lord said. And but here, here's, here's a man that's that's struggling. He's, this is a man of God who is um, very discouraged, and he's discouraged because he's wondering is is. Is this really the Messiah? Um, he's in prison, so his circumstances are telling him one thing. Um, he's he's locked up, and he is awaiting what we know of to be death. But um, he is someone who's struggling with discouragement. Who is a, again? This is this is not a non-Christian. This is someone who. Um, loves the Lord Jesus with all his heart, but he's saying, how does my circumstances match with um, this messianic expectation that as he knew the Old Testament and everything that it said about from the prophets, this is the prophetic line, the messianic arrival would come, there would be great blessing for those that know the Lord, and there would be judgment for those who who don't. Well, how does this fit? That's what he's asking. And so Jesus is responding, and, and I won't read the passage, but Jesus quotes from the prophets to say, um, you go tell John this. And he quotes from the Old Testament saying, 
his, your hope is not in the wrong place. Your hope is, is right where it needs to be. And so he references some positive examples of this is, this is what in, in my, as you've, as you've seen my own ministry, you can see evidence that, that all these prophetic expectations are being fulfilled in me. And um, then coming on the heels of that, um, he mentions some stories and says, uh, but hey, for you listeners, uh, there's some cities that have, where I've done um, some of my greatest work. And he names some cities right after that. And he says, you know, cities, you are in danger. Um, you have rejected me and you've seen the ministry that I've, I've done. And so there's these two groups of people coming into this section. And again, this is one big episode, but we're going to look at a mini episode. It's basically at the end of that bigger episode in Matthew 11. So as, as, we, as we're thinking about what is life like in the kingdom of heaven, it's a counterculture. And that's what Matthew's gospel is all about. Okay, you read the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the, are the poor in spirit. Right? You look at all of those Beatitudes, you see there's this counterculture that we're called to live as God's people faithfully under this king and the king has come and and yet you see these two groups of people you see christians discouraged you see non-christians completely rejecting christ so um, jesus is going to show how he's really good news for both here so i'm going to start reading in verse 25 At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom... The son chooses to reveal him. Hear these these words of welcome. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Lord, um, my sins are many. May we see Jesus in him only this morning. Thank you that that you meet us in your word. As we lift up your word, we um, recognize that we need your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see the beauty, the goodness, and the truth of it. pray that you would do that in your name. Amen. Amen. So we find in this passage, this is the big idea, this is the main point that I want to convey today, that... Jesus offers the refreshment of being 
his disciple. Hard stop. So we see in this passage, the Lord beckons us, come. So, So go to Jesus because of what he promises to you individually in what's the greatest words of welcome that have ever been said. And so we're reminded in this passage, in these verses, we're just going to be looking at verses 28 through 30, reminded of our need for rest and the nature of his rest. So let's let's look first at, at verse 28. And so it's it's an invitation here, not, not just to believe the truth about who Christ is. It's one thing to, to know. He is, he is the, the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. It's one thing to know that He's the Savior of the world. Um, but it's another thing to rest in Him, to put all of your weight on Him, like the famous illustration where you would, you would rest in a chair. You put all your weight in the chair, right? So it's it's way too easy for us to, especially for those familiar with the Bible, to just live out of our heads. And for some people, it's um, it can be thinking, you know, well, I've, I pretty much know the Bible, and so I'm I'm okay. And so we it's we can live out of our heads, and we can actually find that um, that our hearts are are far from the Lord. And Yet, we find a call to real faith in Jesus. So reaching out the empty hand of faith, we we take hold of him. So he's offering us the real rest of of a relationship with him, right? It's a relationship, a relational rest. It's a relational rest. It's, it's, um, it's like, you know, someone who, who might say to you, um, uh, you've been at work before, and, and, and someone says, um, "Hey, I know you got to do this thing," and they might know that you're scrambling to get that done, or or that uh, you've got a lot of other stuff that you've got to get done, and and they say, um, "Hey, I, I'll actually I'll actually take that take that off your hands. I, I work a part time job once a week, and it's it's for Amazon, so I deliver packages, and um, we have a, a concept in the in the company of of being rescued, and so at, at the end of the day." If you are behind in your delivery route, then you know you will get rescued, and so it's it's not not really optional. I mean, but they will send another driver who finished their route to come and to take maybe half of your packages that you have left, and they'll go um, deliver those and help you deliver them. And so you can't just say, "Well, I'm just gonna sorry, you know, to dispatch. I'm I think I'm good for the day." It's like, no, when you signed on, um, you signed on to, hey, acknowledge, hey, if you need to be rescued, you're going you're gonna to do it. And if you need to go rescue, you're going to. And so there's this image there, again, of packages and load, you know, that I'm reminded of, you know, a, a, a full truck of packages. I'm, I get that image every week. Um, and the truth is, like, we all need to be rescued, uh, whether we, we admit it or not. And so Jesus is saying, come to me if you're weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So you've got to, you've got to acknowledge your need for him. 
I love this prayer from the ancient church father Augustine. I think of it all the time. Perhaps Mason's used it before. You've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We need all kinds of rest, right? We need mental rest from work. We need physical rest, right? Summer's a time when I hope you're able to take some vacation or some off days. We need play rest, too. I love the idea that you know, play rest is something you do that you enjoy that gives you a whole body smile that you like. Uh, one of your hobbies or something you like to you enjoy watching or whatever it is. But we really, really need something, that another kind of rest that uh, I think we're not always in touch with. And even as, as Christ's people, we see, like John the Baptist, when we're discouraged, what do we need? We need soul rest. Um, maybe people that have rejected the Savior, they need to learn to rest in him for the first time, whereas we need to learn to return to rest. Um, there's a, a, a psalm that I use myself when I'm I'm a, I'm going to when I'm at, I'm asleep at night and I wake up maybe early earlier than I like my mind's full racing or, or something and I and I I thought of this I, I, I like to think of this as a a, a, a a snooze button how many of you use a, hit the snooze in the morning whenever you okay I was talking to my coworkers the other day and I asked them I was curious. Uh, I'll hit it myself, but I said, you know, how many of you snooze buttons? And some people said, one, one guy said, I don't use a snooze button because that's starting your day with a lie. And then, and, then, and, and then someone else said, no, I hit the snooze button seven times, you know, every day. So we might be somewhere in between. But I thought about it. I was like, you know, what, a, what an awesome thing when I think about this verse in Psalm 116, verse 7. I'm going to read this to you. This is my own. This is what I call my snooze button. You hit it. It's like you hit it and you go back to sleep. I, you hit this. This is a button that I, I hit for myself and I go back to rest when I feel restless. And I commend it to you. It could be another scripture for you. I actually read one earlier from Psalm 62 that um, says much of the same thing. Listen to this. This is a kind of self-talk. It's something that you tell yourself. Psalm 116.7, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. I'll just say that. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. You need to hear yourself. Tell yourself the good news. Because we'll tell ourselves all kinds of stuff. Other people tell us all kinds of stuff. We need good advice, but we need more than good advice. We need good news, and there's a difference. So we tell ourselves the good news. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. That's Psalm 116.7. Go to Jesus because he gives real refreshment. He promises that in the gospel. A lot of people come into church feeling beat up from just the demands that they've been under at work, um, just having to perform at work, um, 
and just to maybe a lot of people come in feeling insignificant to church. Uh, a lot of people come in feeling absolutely worn down. Some people feel like they don't measure up, like they don't even really belong to be here. Um, this is good news for sinners, isn't it? Like you and like me. Jesus welcomes us, welcomes you, no matter where you are. So we go, we go to the Lord because he gives us rest. We see it in verse 28. But we also can go to the Lord because of his yoke, and we can learn from him. And we see that in verse 29. So what does Jesus mean in verse 29 that we can we – can, uh, we should – Take his yoke upon us and learn from him. What does that mean? Well, you might know this if you're familiar with the Bible, but it's worth repeating. A yoke is like a it's a wooden harness you, know, you put on say two oxes, they're doing field work. So good Midwestern illustration there, though we're not I don't know anyone. There's some some people that still use um, Use animals, field animals, um, but it it had come, it had taken on a meaning in the Old Testament. It was used often um, to convey this picture of servitude, and God's people were to bear the yoke of the law. And so, if you look at the at the law of Moses, it's it's it is. It is understood that there are 613 commands in the law of Moses. And the Pharisees and scribes, unfortunately, had interpreted the law in a way that did not lead God's people to simple commitment to the Lord. But they just laid on them crushing burdens. And they went beyond God's rules, and they added their own rules. And then all their own rules and God's rules were mixed together. Interpretation of God's rules, and then they just added rules on rules on rules, and then rules that weren't even in the Bible. And what did that do to God's people? It made them weary. Except they thought that the, that the Pharisees, they were the guys that knew more than them, so they must be right. And so they had this unfamiliarity with the true Lord because. Even though they might know the Bible, they see these teachers that were harsh, and they were impersonal, and they just did not get God's heart. Jesus said this in Matthew 23. The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So they lay up, tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. So Jesus is not saying, hey, you can be independent from God's law and God's moral law, the Ten Commandments. We say that doesn't matter for you. He's not saying that, is he? Um, but he's saying, I want to give you a different and better yoke than you have ever known in your life. So Jesus is talking about a lifestyle, and it is based on... A relationship with the Lord. It's based on really seeing who he really is, accepting it. Whether you're discouraged or you're rejecting him, 
It's seeing, hey, Jesus is saying, learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. So it's not independence. It's no, just harness yourself on him. So going back to that illustration I had at the beginning, you got the overloaded vehicle with the cargo. It's ridiculously overloaded. Well, it's one thing if, say, imagine that Jesus were to get into the vehicle with a person. Um, It's another thing for Jesus to say, hey, get out of that vehicle um, on the road of life. I want to invite you into my vehicle. I'm driving, but I want you to ride with me. And but it's not this ridiculously overloaded vehicle. Um, and we're going to go do life together. So it's not he doesn't offer false hope and say, yeah, I promise you all your troubles will go away and you will never get sick and you'll never have problems if you just get into my vehicle and you let me drive. He doesn't offer false hope, does he? And we're going to come back to that. One pastor summarized the meaning of the yoke well and said this. He said, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need the least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give us, give the tired, is a new way to carry life. A fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism this is a good kind of realism. Being realistic, I sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Instead of offering escape, he offers equipment. Jesus' yoke is equipment. He doesn't offer escape. Love that. Instead of offering escape, again, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, his yoke, will develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we've been living. It will make a difference, even if your circumstances like John the Baptist don't seem to add up to what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, come to me. Promise, I promise you, this is the rest of the gospel. And let me change you on this journey that we're going to go together down the road of life. And... Jesus says, and you will find rest for your souls. By the way, remember how earlier I referenced this, that whenever Jesus was talking to, uh, talking about um, John the Baptist, he said, you go tell John of the blind see, the lame walk, etc. He was quoting some passages from the Old Testament prophets. Jesus here, he does something, it's good sneaky. He, he works in something. He quotes a passage from Jeremiah. And so, again, this is Jesus' way of saying, hey, I'm the promised Messiah. And so he's going to quote Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. And this is what that verse says. So it says, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. And find rest for your souls. Find rest for your souls. That's what Jesus lifted out and said, hey, it's my way of saying I'm the Messiah. Trust me. But they said we will not walk in it. So at that time, God's people would be sent into exile because they wouldn't listen. Um, 
So it is, it is imperative, right, that we, this is not a suggestion from Jesus, this is, this is his command, come to me, to all people. It's a worldwide welcome. You know, we live in a world that, that really needs this, and I think that the, the advice or the, the way of, of our culture today kind of points to that. I, I, was, I heard an interview this past week with Steve Martin, the comedian, and he was he was on a podcast called Work Life. So we were talking about work, and uh, I want to. This is a podcast with Adam Grant, and it's very famous out there. It's not necessarily it's not a Christian podcast, but it's interesting. And Adam Grant's a psychologist, and he he was talking to uh, Steve Martin, interviewing him about his influences and how much that Steve Martin had been influenced by a certain comedian, and Steve Martin was saying over and over again, like I basically was just kind of imitating what I saw him doing, this this other guy that I learned from that came before me, and he was kind of almost like he was an apprentice under him. And um, Adam Grant, the interviewer, said at one point, he said, you know, it's almost like you're saying, you know, there's this this cultural zeitgeist or, you know, spirit of the age that says, uh, hey, just be yourself, God, just go be yourself in life. You do that, you're going to be okay. And he said, it's almost like you're saying, don't be yourself. And, and Steve Martin said, I think the advice of be yourself is the worst advice for humanity. Now, this is a good statement. I agree with him here. He said, because nobody knows, especially when you're young, you don't know what yourself is. You don't even know what that means. You think it means to be authentic or something? Well, authentic would be lying on the sofa and watching television. I think it's good to have a role model, a template you can work around. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is the hero in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is the hero in this passage. Jesus is the hero that we all need, that we can, the greatest role model that we can have for our lives, day in and day out. Whether you're not a Christian or you've been a Christian a long time, or somewhere in between. What's that look like? This weekend, um, I received an email update from a missionary friend who was offered a new role in the same organization. He was changing jobs, and he and he was trying to decide whether or not to take his job, uh, this new position. And, and this is what he said. He said he 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 said you know he finally decided he was going to take the job, and this is why. While this is a significant shift in my work, I felt a very distinct leading by Jesus to follow him. On this new path, as Jennifer and I talked and prayed about it, his wife. That that isn't to say I don't have some fears and doubts, but those are things that require repentance and faith. And I felt my friend saying, this is friend, capital F friend, and we know that is, please come do this with me. I have much I want you to learn about trusting me. He gets it. And then go to the Lord because of his heart. I'm not going to say too much about this, but I'm not the first pastor. staying in a long line of many pastors that have pointed out that there is one place in the Bible where Jesus tells us what his own heart is like. Jesus tells us, as you've been studying the parables, tells us what God is like, tells us what people are like. He tells us what his kingdom, life in his kingdom is like. Tells us what the world's like. There's one place where he tells us what his own heart is like. 
then com- contrast that with what else is out there for them as the Pharisees. Um, and any other voice, too, that would, that would be louder in people's ears than Christ. Go to Jesus because of what his heart is like. What's his heart like? He said, for I am gentle and humble in heart. The word humble there is meek or gentle and lowly in heart. There was an old pastor who lived about 500 years ago who said, Christ's yoke is like feathers to a bird. It's not loads, but it helps to motion. It's going to help you move. It's good news. What his heart is like. There's a uh, very keen observer of human nature. Um, a great man wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. John Newton had been a slave trader, knew something about slavery, knew something about coming out of that freedom um, and his need for Christ. And he preached a sermon on this passage, and I didn't read it all, but I, I found this really interesting section that. And I, I want to read it to you because he, he, what he's getting at is how it's relevant because it's it's how we might view Christ apart from how who he reveals himself to be gentle and lowly in heart. And he said, you know, uh, John Newton said in this sermon, oxen are yoked to labor. And this yoke is a I'll paraphrase. It's an expression to 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 denote servitude. And he said, our Lord, though he submitted to sufferings, reproach and death for our sakes, though he invites us. Not because he has need of us, but because we have need of him and cannot be happy without him. And then I I underline this part. Yet our ungrateful hearts think unkindly of him. We conceive of him as a hard master and suppose that if we engage ourselves to him, we must bid farewell to pleasure and live under a continual constraint. His rule is deemed too strict, his laws too severe, and we imagine that we could be more happy upon our own path plans than by accepting his. And he said, he, he went on to say that it's, it's as if when he said, come, come unto me, it's as if he said, be not afraid of me, only make the experiment of coming to him and you shall find that which you have accounted my yoke is true liberty. And that in my service, which you have avoided as burdensome, there is no burden at all. For my ways are ways of pleasantness, and all my paths are peace. And then he said this, I have a good hope that many of my hearers can testify from their own happy experience that his service is perfect freedom. I'll show you sometime my testimony, and it's that. Um, From my own happy experience that his service is perfect freedom. No, he doesn't give us um, escape from the burdens of life, and so we shouldn't seek to run from Jesus, but run to him every day because he doesn't give us escape but equipment for handling life. That's his yoke. So he doesn't want just your burdens. He wants all of you. Come to me. Don't just bring your burdens. Bring your whole self. But the good news is I'm going to give you rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this, for the glorious good news And I pray that it would move our hearts to rest because of who Christ is, 
May, may, may we realize that Jesus is better than we think, that his rest and his yoke is better than we think, that your burden is light, and that's and your burden is lighter than we think. If we don't, for those that don't believe in you because they're afraid that they're going to have to give up um, something, it's too much. You have to give up happiness. I pray that we remember that it's in you, that it's in your rest, that there's true happiness and freedom um, that's to be found. And your commandments are not burdensome, as your scripture says. So lead us to simple faith like a child. And Lord, I pray that you meet us in all of our own individual places. And we will see there will be some um, work that your spirit does in each one of our hearts to help us, to remind us um, that even though discipleship is not easy, that you offer refreshment. And that even this summer in the midst of these hot days, that you would refresh us spiritually and that you would help us to uh, just enjoy who you are and what you have given us to be content, to be at peace with you, to draw closer to you, Lord. Um, pray that we would enjoy rich intimacy with you in our lives um, and that you would change us inside and out and that we would draw great encouragement knowing what your heart is like as we do that. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Sing the hymn.